0: To get the latest news as well as fun bonuses, be sure to sign up for my weekly herbal newsletter. Okay, grab your cup of tea. Let's dive in. It was an honor to get to interview Lee Joseph. So a friend of mine had actually told me about her book about a year ago before it was even published, and so I anticipated this book for months, and then it was love at first read once I finally got it in the mail. Lee shares everything that I hold dear about plants, about reciprocity and connection. But rather than go on and on about it, let's just get to the episode. For those of you who don't already know her, Lee Joseph is an ethnobotanist, researcher, and entrepreneur from the Squamish First Nation. She contributes to cultural knowledge renewal and connection to indigenous plant and land based relationships. Lee holds a bachelor's in botany. A master's in ethnobotany and is completing her PhD in ethnobotany. She's the co-director and subject of the documentary Walking with Plants, nominated for three Leo Awards. As founder of beauty brand Squalwin Botanicals, Lee brings together indigenous science and self-care, providing luxury skincare and wellness products that draw from the ceremonial aspects of plants. Lee aims to contribute her voice as an Indigenous academic so that other Indigenous authors and students will feel themselves represented and reflected in ethnobotany literature. Her first book, Held by the Land, a Guide to Indigenous Plants for Wellness, is part narrative, part field guide, and recipe book that draws on her lived experience as an Indigenous woman, her training in Western science, and her cultural journey towards identity. Welcome to the podcast, Lee. I am truly honored and very excited to have you here.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to join you
0: today. Oh, well, let's dive in because I have so many questions and so many things that I'm excited to talk with you about. But first, I'd like to hear a little bit more about you, the things that have brought you here to us today, your plant, pla- your plant path, etc. cetera.
1: Sure. So I'll introduce myself in my Squamish language to start. Lee Joseph, Queensna, Stiowet, Koshaman Skoomish, Oomeo, Squalo, and Aocton, Sequaito. My name is Lee Joseph and my ancestral name is Stiowet and I come from the Squamish First Nation, which is located on the west coast of British Columbia and I'm happy to be here today. A bit about myself. I'm, as I mentioned, I'm from the Squamish nation, and I'm trained academically as an ethnobotanist, which is someone who studies the cultural interrelationships between people and plants. And very closely connected to that is also relationships with place. And so the, the ways that I find grounding and strength in my life are very much spending time on the land and learning with plants in a cultural context. And I sort of plants lead and guide every aspect of my my personal and professional life. So I have a business called and Botanicals, which is a plant-based skincare business. And then I also conduct um, community-based research in the area of ethnobotany. Mm.
0: And so I've read your story in your book and kind of the many threads that are woven in your plant's just kind of your love of plants and how that's grown over the years. So thinking about where to dive in of just, I know you had a connection with just kind of the world around you as you, when you were very young and then that just grew and grew. And yeah, I guess at what point did you like kind of officially realize like, oh, plants are going to be every part of my life, like you said?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. And I think about this because my initial answer would be, oh, you know, in my early 20s, I went to a free lecture at the Vancouver Art Gallery and it was given by Dr. Nancy Turner, who's an ethnobotanist who's worked across British Columbia. And after that talk, I really sort of, it really settled in like, oh, this is an area of study that I could pursue. And it brought a lot of things together, like my love of the outdoors I'd done some outdoor guiding work um, for years, kind of previous to that, and my desire to connect more deeply to my community in Squamish and culture because I grew away, grew up away from Squamish, not too far away, but in the Kwangan and Wasamish territory on southern Vancouver Island. But once I started down this path, I realized that my these connections were were made much earlier than that, and you you mentioned you know some of the stories that i share in held by the land of really feeling the most at ease when i was out in our front garden even like just sitting with the plants you know in late spring through the summer and just really remembering the experience of that you know the feeling of the grass underneath me the the colors and appearance of the flowers that my mom had planted in the garden the breeze in the air and all of those things that I noticed and have stayed with me really were, you know, one of the pieces of of laying the kind of pathway that I'm on now. And I would say another is the time that I got to spend with some of my great aunts and uncles, especially on my Sunaemath or Nanaimo side of my family. My great uncle chester and my great auntie eva and each time we would go visit them we would spend time preparing a meal together and then sharing a meal and often it would be helping him my my great uncle smoke salmon or pulling vegetables from the garden and sitting together in those spaces really made me feel nourished safe connected and those are things that really quickly started to come to the forefront of my mind when I started this area of study in my 20s so it really was an earlier kind of pathway that had been laid.
0: Hmm. Oh that's beautiful I love that just that connection on so many different levels and I feel like that's an an, often a common story with those of us on the with the plants is that we kind of get called in this way and this way and then looking back we can see even more ways that those have been woven together for us. Well, those that your stories there just, I think blend in, there's kind of nice segue into your book, Held by the Land, the subtitle, A Guide to Indigenous Plants for Wellness. I love this book. I just want to curl up with this book and so many of the themes of and concepts within the book are everything that I strive to be as an herbalist and it's shared in such a beautiful way. So I'm excited to talk to you about the book and I'd like to start with the title because the title held by the land is, you know, both a title and a concept. And I'd love to hear about that from you.
1: Yeah, thank you for asking about that. We, when we were going through the process, I say we, um, my editor that I was working with and myself, I sort of brought a list of of names to the table and we were talking through them. And in conversation and kind of sitting, you know, with this list, this concept of being held by the land really just kept sort of coming to the forefront of my mind and of sort of the the messaging that I wanted to share with this book. And what it means to me is kind of built on originally the stories that I heard from a lot of the elders that I've worked with in different communities. And so many of these stories that I've been privileged to listen to and have shared with me were about feeling held, feeling at home, feeling belonging in natural spaces, whether it's on the land or on the waters, like in their traditional territories, and that so that that's one piece. Another piece is, you know, as I was writing this book, it was during a time of, of kind of isolation and lots of uncertainty you know that we all experienced um, during the pandemic. And something that I really turned to was going going onto the land to just ground myself, but also starting to work with visualizations of some of my favorite places to go whether it be harvesting or just go to for a walk or to spend time. And so I really wanted to share this idea that we aren't necessarily alone, if we're not in company, you know, and there are ways that we can build relationships with plants in the natural world that do offer that incredible gift, you know, to us of feeling supported, grounded and held. And that kind of I think sets the stage for a lot of the relationship building that I kind of talk about in terms of, you know, building respectful, reciprocal, and responsible relationships with the land and plants that we reside by, and also that we may be harvesting or turning to to support health and wellness.
0: Mm -hmm. I have goosebumps, and this is so much a part of why I just really love your book so much is just everything that you just shared and how I think this is so critical right now, because I think so many of the challenges, so many of the horrible things that are going on today could be solved at this root issue of this kind of species aloneness or feeling alone and this lack of connection to being that actual feeling of being held by the land. I think if more of us felt that connection, there would be less, things like pipelines or other things that are just really destroying the world around us. We, we wouldn't want to do that, mm-hmm. right? So you, and with that explanation, you touched on a couple of things that I wanted to touch on too, which one of my favorite chapters in the book is the lot, land-based mindfulness and visualizations, which you've just touched on. But if you wouldn't mind kind of just talking about that a little bit more, because this is a, a really key concept,
1: I feel like, in the book. Definitely. That was a really interesting section or sections to write because, you know, I, I have my own personal teachers and practices that are along the lines of mindfulness and meditation that I've worked on, but I'm not an expert, you know, in, in sharing though that those practices. So I, I, was really, throughout the process of reading, or sorry, writing the book, I was reaching out to mentors and to people with various areas of expertise to, you know, talk through my approach to things, to do edits. And and this was one of those sections that it was important to me to have it be not too, you know, to, to write a, to write a sort of guided experience like that on the page was an interesting exercise. And my sort of the where I landed was, you know, having the most powerful place that we can each sort of start from is grounding in our own experience. So sometimes people might say, well, I, I I live in an urban environment, what kind of natural, you know, setting could I connect to that it might not be immediately available, you know, to someone if they're really used to to not necessarily, you know, this more common idea of getting out into nature away from, you know, the cities and things like that. But often what I've found in conversations since the book has come out as well, is that people will take a moment to think back into their childhood or to think back into a place that maybe they haven't been for years, but it was really important to them. And that act of visualizing these places on the land and feeling you know what it means personally to you to connect to that place and often there's emotion that's connected to it there's memories maybe people that were really important to you or are really important to you and so by tapping into that personal story within the structure of a practice that like a you know a guided land-based mindfulness practice or a guided land-based visualization my hope is that people will be able to work with that and yes like kind of read through the prompts but have it resonate in a way where it can become something that people can access when they need that grounding or that resourcing even if they're not necessarily able to physically you know get somewhere that feels more open and wild or away from kind of the urban you know, centers of busyness. And I'll just share one story that was shared with me that I really love to hear. It was from an indigenous reader of the book and she'd expressed that she, she'd lived away from her home territory for years and she was raising her kids away from, the, from her home territory. And it really weighed heavily on her heart that, that she couldn't be there more with them, spending that time you know, on the land and for herself. And what she found with the the land-based mindfulness practice is that she was able to close her eyes and be transported, you know, to her traditional territory, to the landscape she was yearning for. And to feel that she was being supported through that practice, it also helped her to know that she was doing you know, taking her kids once a year back to this place, she was instilling in them a connection that was really important to her, but also that she could access the strength that she gains from that landscape, even if she's not living there, which for, especially for Indigenous people, you know, can be a very tender place if there's been a a forced relocation or for various reasons, you're not able to live in your home territory. So for me, that really was really wonderful to hear And then, you know, further to that, I think, again, just starting from a personal place means that no matter what our background or where we're from, there are those intersections we can access to support our own health and wellness in connection to the land. Mm
0: -hmm. Yes, Lee, and that was, again, so much what I just truly loved about this book. And there was one sentence that just, there are so many sentences, actually, in this one in particular It was so simple, but it just really jumped out at me and I had to read it like 10 times. And that is plants teach us about being connected and relationship with place. And being in relationships with plants is a theme that comes over and over again in your book in you know, deeper and beautiful ways. And yeah, I just really love that. And I think that's so important because I, you know, I got into herbalism and plants. It's kind of like the very first segue was kind of like, that you know plantain was good for a bee bite or something just very like that the herbs were good for healing things but it's been in this past two decades that I've really immersed more into this plant-based relationship land-based relationship and just being amazed with wonder and beauty and awe of all there is in that and that is truly what you've captured in your book I mean that's where you start that's where you end and this book is written for primarily you know with plants in the Pacific Northwest. And I think that that is important to say. And I think that I don't think anyone should be limited by this being a Pacific Northwest book. I actually saw your book in Boulder, Colorado at a bookstore. So oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, That's so amazing. not Pacific Northwest, but I think that everybody who loves plants should get this book. And it's so beautiful too with the um, I loved how like there's the tree medicine section, and it has if you can see like the blues, like the colors on the different how the different plants are organized and everything. I just I absolutely love it, and yeah. So thank you so much for writing this book. It's so important, and I really I'm looking forward to every single one of my listeners telling me what they thought of it because it's I think it's a must-have for everybody. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you so much. Well, I'm excited to hear about the plant you chose for today. This is the first one for the show. Mimps, beard lichen, also commonly called usnea. And why did this herb, loosely we'll call it an herb, (laughs) why did this jump out at you as a plant to talk about today?
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. So I love this plant. I love mint, or this medicine, I should call it. Like I feel like it's sort of an ever-present being, <laughs> you know, like in in squamish tradition and, and culture, plants fall into the category of being relatives. So this idea again of relationship that comes into play when when we shift away from kind of the utilitarian nature of plants and, and look at their relationality and what does that how does that shift? The dynamics in terms of our responsibility you know if we're especially if we're looking at harvesting a plant and so mints is just this beautiful cascading kind of like net of lichen that hangs down from the branches in the in the forests of the pacific northwest and i remember early on just like loving seeing it and just simply and then you you know, simply being happy when I'd see it. And then I remember learning at camp that, you know, and and I'm not sure how accurate this is, but that it's a sign of like cleaner air quality if it's really thriving in a, you know, in a place. And then as I went through my science training, I did an undergrad in in botany and biology, just learning more about the, you know, the science and botany and just the amazing sort of, yeah, function of lichens and, So just really, really cool things to learn. But it was on a, actually a seaweed harvesting trip with some elders in Quaquaquac territory. So off the north end of Vancouver Island, where I was in a situation where we were at a remote camp on one of the islands, sort of in the, the Broughton archipelago. And one of the elders who was with us had... A skin infection and my husband's a family doctor and so he was concerned that it might be a cellulitis which is quite serious this elder had just gotten out of hospital and didn't want to go back and so you know he and my husband kind of talked about it and he said I would like to try you know my medicine today and then if it's still bad tomorrow I'll go out on the water taxi and so he instructed us to go out and to collect mints, and he said to bring it back, to put it in a bowl, to pour boiling water on it, and then wait until it stops dancing. And so we did that. And we weren't sure, you know, you don't really question those kinds of instructions; you just do, and then you learn from it. Because we we did that, and then we noticed, of course, the heat waves was moving all of the tendrils, and then as soon as it cooled to the point where they stopped moving. Then we were able to take it out, so it was sterilized, it was still quite hot, and put it directly on this elder's arm, and we changed it every two hours, and and sure enough, you know, by morning in the situation, his arm had completely cleared up. So this was my first kind of experience really watching the power of this topical application of this plant. And I say this, you know, with a cautionary note that that was a setting, you know, that lent itself to have sort of a balance of, you know, medical advice and Indigenous expert knowledge of plants. But it was really powerful to see that and also to see... to to really learn the gifts that that plant carries. And subsequent to that, I've taught some ethnobotany courses where we've powdered, dried and powdered mints and had it as a first aid powder. It's really antibac- anti like it's like a topical antibiotic, so antibacterial. And if you mix it with something like powdered yarrow leaf, then it has that sticked quality. So having it, I had a student from one of my ethnobotany courses who actually put it in his first aid kit. And he was out hunting and he cut himself while he was field dressing the the deer that he got. And he put the MIMPS powder in and said that the healing that came from that was just incredible. Again, sort of in a remote setting. So I just thought, you know, this is a lichen that's present in so many areas and and usually quite abundant and something that can also be purchased commercially. You know, there are sustainable suppliers that will supply this ingredient and it just has such a kind of multitude of uses that I thought it would be a really wonderful one to talk about and one that I've really loved learning about in the last kind of five to 10 years hmm I
0: love your harvesting tip for MIPS as well because there is the gift of the abundant harvest would you mind sharing that
1: yeah so I think just in terms of any really any plant or any harvest that you're you know medicine or food you're going out to harvest really some teachings that have been shared with me are to not take the first you know that you see to ensure that there is an abundance of that plant relative growing in an area that you're wanting to harvest from, and then really not taking more than you need and with something like mints, you really need a very small amount. So the impact of of harvesting for a sort of a something like a first aid powder or something like that is quite small. That being said, I think we all have to be mindful about we sort we there's many examples of plants that have gained more, you know, popular use and notoriety and have quickly been over harvested. So again, this isn't necessarily one that that falls really easily in the grow your own category but it is one you know that if you know an area that's really abundant or if you can research a sustainable supplier then it is one that is fairly available for people in this in this area of the pacific mm-hmm. northwest
0: yes and the the wind often gifts us oh yes yeah so we can yes. look for The fallen branches and not have to take it, you know, kind of glean from that which has fallen. Exactly. Yeah. So your recipe for the MIMP's first aid powder is in your book. Again, everyone held by the land. And you've also graciously shared that with us. So thank you. And for those of you wanting to download your recipe card for that, you can visit the show notes at herbswithrosaliepodcast.com. All right. So I might have mentioned once or twice that you have this amazing book held by the land that I think everyone should have. But I know you have some other interesting projects. And I would love to hear about those as well.
1: Yes. So I am just about to finish my doctoral studies. So I'm about to defend. And that is really a uh, something that's on the forefront of my mind. It's not so much a project, but it is going to be a milestone. And so that's something that's thank you, that I'm really looking forward to. But funnily enough, when I started my PhD, I was really looking for a creative outlet. So I love writing about plants. I love doing literature reviews. I was, you know, really at the time of starting my PhD, doing quite a deep dive into other areas like Indigenous studies and education and whatnot to read Indigenous authors because there still isn't a lot within my field. And so I really wanted to read more Indigenous literature, but also really look at some of the heavier topics in terms of the, you know, colonial impacts on land access, specifically on plant foods and medicines, and how those impacts still have very kind of tangible, like, complications and barriers and challenges for people when it comes to health and wellness. So that that I was really passionate about filling a gap that I felt existed within my field but that work was also quite heavy and emotional so I was really looking for a creative outlet and so I started a project that I'd been thinking of for a while which now is called Squalo and Botanicals which is a plant-based skincare brand and it really started as a way to create some products with the plants that I had started to learn from on the land started to harvest small amounts and really mostly a gift in communities that I was working with to elders and other people and i just got so inspired and kind of invigorated by thinking about some of the beautiful you know plants that i'd been learning about and and applying them in the context of formulating like self-care products And at first, I was kind of sheepish to tell my committee that I'd started this because it felt so off track in terms of, you know, academia. But what I've found over the past years is that Squalowin has given me a platform and a space to really share about Indigenous plant knowledge and the beauty and brilliance and strength that comes from, you know, plant knowledge and land-based knowledge and how it connects more broadly to cultural resurgence and identity. And it's allowed me to do that in a way that's very different than academia. And so I've really enjoyed the creative aspect of working with. Often my teammates, the team that I built is most mostly made up of Indigenous women from my community. But we've had other members who are joining us either from other Indigenous communities or who are non-Indigenous. And so it's been but really believe in the brand. And it's been really wonderful to, to sort of walk that path and share that messaging of Indigenous plant science, meeting this beauty and self-care space. And yeah, it's it's definitely come sort of front and center in terms of my my work and sort of my efforts right now, but it is really exciting because it's it's really creating new I guess creating indigenous representation in spaces where it hasn't existed and that seems to be at the an element of, of all of the work that I'm doing. And I think and I think and I hope that that's changing quickly because I see more and more, you know, Indigenous people stepping into these spaces, but also, you know, a growing awareness of what Indigenous representation means and why it's important, you know, more broadly within the, the spaces that I'm kind of interfacing with through my entrepreneurship and my academic studies.
0: Hmm. Would you say that squalo and botanicals kind of led to the book because that came first and I hear there's lots of sharing through that and or do you feel like it's all just
1: intertwined? It's very intertwined, and I would say it came almost equal parts from my research because when I was carrying out my doctoral research, again, we were, we'd set up a program where it was you know going on the land with the community participants who were part of this field research, and we would go and learn about a plant, learn about what sustainable harvesting meant in the context of that plant, and then do a small harvest and bring plants back and create a food or a medicine with them at the community hall. And again, just with the timing of the pandemic, we weren't able to meet in person anymore. And so I asked the community members and other community contacts I had, you know, what what would people find the most valuable at this time? And a book just kept coming up. Mm-hmm. And so it really was a marrying of of that research background. And then with the, the the 44 plant profiles that make up the second half of the book, that was also really a blend of drawing on my kind of research partnerships and and mentors to go through the botanical and, you know, ecology information and just be sure that, everything was updated and that we were including, you know, the right pieces. Cause we had to, my publisher a few times was like, okay, hey, this isn't a botany book. <laughs> like it's not a, it's not a field guide. So, you know, it was a, it was figuring out how to pare it down, but still have enough information. So anyways, it was really a marrying of the two kind of worlds, I would say. Hmm. As you're sharing what you've been working on, it's just kind of
0: hitting me Lee that you have, this amazing botanical land-based herbal products business and that you've written this amazing book and you're right now defending getting ready to defend your PhD that's a lot <laughs> that's a lot going on plus I know you're a mom <laughs> so <Yes>. yeah <laughs> yeah it's a lot
1: <laughs> yeah it's a lot I'm I think that's why I'm so excited to get to start to just kind of move some things off you know my plate a bit but I also realize that when things start to slow down, I, my mind is already kind of going, I get so inspired by my class and yeah. by this, you know, by this path that I would love to start working on another writing project, but I'm also trying to temper myself and say, <laughs> it's okay to, to slow down. Like, I think that's really important. And i I'm, I'm looking forward to things slowing down over mm-hmm. the next while. Well,
0: I understand that feeling of when the plants catch you, there can be this just kind of pushing from into, you know, new, more new and inspiring places. And you also exactly. teach, is that correct too?
1: I do. Yeah. I teach some ethnobotany courses. This year I have a course coming up in February through the University of Victoria. And then I teach a... Community-based and land-based ethnobotany course in Haida Gwaii in June as part of the Haida Gwaii Institute up there, mm-hmm. um, which is really uh, lovely. A wonder, like it's just a wonderful course to teach. Hmm. Wonderful.
0: Well, I. think we're at the last question already, Lee. And it's one that you've kind of already answered, but I'm going to ask it anyway. And that's, who have you learned from apart from the plants? And the idea with this question, it changes every season, is just to honor those that have been before us, whether that's our direct teachers or ancestors. I know that one of them who you've already mentioned, Dr. Turner, who is somebody I have highly respected. Her work is just absolutely phenomenal and on so many different levels. So it's fun that I know one of your teachers, but I'd love to hear about more.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So that's such an important question. And it's one that I often will Start with when I'm sharing about this knowledge is the people in my community, you know, my ancestors who really fought to carry pieces of this knowledge forward. And I speak about this in a plant knowledge context, you know, there are people, ancestors, and people who carried pieces of precious language knowledge forward, of Indigenous law, of different, you know, areas of culture. But from a plant perspective, I You know, I am the right now, you know, kind of the current representation of what resilience and strength, you know, in the face of just unimaginable trauma, you know, really looks like. And so when I say that, I really think about, you know, the family members that I knew, you know, my grandparents, my great aunts and uncles. But the family members that came before who didn't get a chance to practice this knowledge because either they couldn't have access to the land and important harvesting and cultivating, cultivating areas were, you know, either privatized or or they weren't allowed to leave uh, reserves, you know, many different barriers put in place or in the case of residential school, not having the chance to learn from family and then really having some very you know challenging relationships with food and 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 not getting a chance to really feel that experience necessarily and I can't generalize but that experience of being held by a landscape where you know they felt that they belonged and were safe and so i really think about that a lot in my work and i think about you know how can i be responsible and honor the efforts and you know that 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 work that my ancestors did and then really thinking about with my my community i've had some wonderful teachers my auntie Joy Joseph or Ciel Tanat, has been a a real guide for me in terms of how to engage with community as both a community member, but also a researcher and just really walking that line and, and also, you know, just someone I can always reach out to with questions. And then there's elders in my community and other Indigenous communities I've worked with more in a research capacity that just have shared with me on the land and so a big responsibility you know of mine is is to not take that knowledge and share it but to take the teachings of responsibility to take the teachings of the depth of you know connection to the land and plants and how that is a shared connection you know across indigenous communities and beyond as we've we've mentioned you know everyone has that personal connection in one way or another and so all of these people have shared with me and really helped me to and continue to help me to navigate what it means to be sharing knowledge from my perspective that's informed by all of these experiences but that isn't exploiting that isn't oversharing you know that that is really honoring The message, which is that, you know, one of we can resource ourselves through building connections with the natural world and through plants. And from that place, we can envision a future and a present, you know, based, informed by the past. And you mentioned earlier, you know, in terms of kind of our environmental impacts and responsibilities more broadly, it really... Does come down to that in individual you know process, I think, of finding that place of connection and meaning and understanding that our actions really do matter, and that if we and also on the flip side of that, if we feel overwhelmed by you know processes and and events in the world that feel out of our control, we do have. The land and plants to turn to to give us that support, and then in turn look at how we can you know give back as well.
0: Wow! Thank you, Lee, so much. Thank you for sharing all this wisdom and for all the beautiful and important work that you're doing in the world. I'm just yeah you know, again so honored to meet you. and just so grateful that you had the time to share this with all of us.
1: Hi, Chika. Thank you so much for having me on. Thanks
0: for being here. Don't forget to head over to the show notes at herbswithrosaliepodcast.com to download your beautifully illustrated recipe card and get a transcript of the show. There, you'll also be able to sign up for my weekly newsletter, which is the best way to stay in touch with me. You can also visit Lee directly on Instagram at Skalwin Botanicals. That's S-K-W-A-L-W-E-N Botanicals. If you'd like more herbal episodes to come your way, then one of the best ways to support this podcast is by subscribing on YouTube or your favorite podcast app. I deeply believe that this world needs more herbalists and plant-centered folks, and I'm so glad that you're here as part of this herbal community. Also, a big round of thanks to the people all over the world who make this podcast happen week to week. Nicole Paul is the project manager who oversees the whole operation from guest outreach to writing show notes to actually uploading each episode and so many other things I don't even know. She really holds this whole thing together. Francesca is our fabulous video and audio editor. She not only makes listening more pleasant, she also adds beauty to the YouTube videos with plant images and video overlays. Tatiana Rusikova is the botanical illustrator who creates gorgeous plant and recipe illustrations for us. I love them. I know that you do too. Christy edits the recipe cards, and then Jenny creates them as well as the thumbnail images for YouTube. Michelle is the tech wizard behind the scenes, and Karen is our student services coordinator and customer support. For those of you who like to read along, Jennifer is who creates the transcripts each week. Xavier, my handsome French husband, is the cameraman and website IT guy. Thanks to Rising Appalachia for their beautiful song, Resilience. Find more of their music at risingappalachia.com. It takes an herbal village to make it all happen, including you. Well, one of the best ways to retain and fully understand something you've just learned is to share it in your own words. With that in mind, I invite you to share your takeaways with me and the entire Herbs with Rosalie community. You can leave comments on my YouTube channel, on the Herbs with Podcast.com show notes page, or simply hit reply to my Wednesday email. I read every comment that comes in, and I'm excited to hear your herbal thoughts on MIPS, as well as relationship to place, reciprocity, and any other thing that we touched upon in this fabulous interview. Okay, you've lasted to the very end of the show, which means you get a gold star and this herbal tidbit. As Lee shared, there's a lot of healing potential with this medicine. Mimps, also known as Usnea, isn't really an herb and it's not even a plant. It's a lichen, which is a fungus and an algae living together. There are many different types of lichens in the Pacific Northwest forest, as well as the greater globe. So you really need to know how to identify it well. One distinguishing characteristic is that when you pull apart the strands, you can find this elastic white band within it. I'm including a video of that for those of you watching on YouTube. And as a last reminder, don't miss out on this important and inspiring book from Lee, Held by the Land, A Guide to Indigenous Plants for Wellness.